Hey ladies, welcome to the Losing Fat on Plants podcast. So happy to have you join me. My name is Jennifer and I'm a certified fat loss nutrition coach. I created this podcast for the menopausal woman who's maintaining a fully or partly plant-based diet, but is still struggling like I once did to lose fat because of cycling sugar binges. Menopausal weight gain is for real, and it's more than just calories in, calories out. Hormones, stress, and lifestyle are factors that can affect our appetite and complicate how we feel and behave around food, especially during our midlife. Come on, sister, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If your appetite has increased, you're craving foods high in sugar, and you can't stop overeating, then you're in the right place. Lady friend. Don't spend precious time feeling miserable about how you look and your weight. Instead, join me each week as I share evidence-based strategies to help you manage your sweet tooth on a plant-based diet while keeping it real. You don't have to give up your favorite desserts. Let me show you how you can enjoy sweets guilt-free while on your journey towards losing fat on plants. Hope to see you there. Take care. Welcome to another episode of Losing Fat on Plants. I'm your host, Jennifer, and this is episode number 13. Is there a best time of the day to eat in order to lose fat? Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard time and time again from various influencers that it does not matter when you eat as long as you follow specific food guidelines that prevent you from eating high calorie meals that are nutrient poor and trigger you to overeat. Now, I agree that high calorie meals with highly palatable ingredients like sugar, salt, and fat Uh, drive you to eat more and more, and it will lead you eventually to gain fat over time. However, I'm not in agreement that it does not matter when you eat. Why do I not believe this? Because I'm talking from my own personal experience. And we all have our own experiences with food and how it affects our bodies. And although we all may not be super sensitive to how everything affects our metabolism or our hormones. I mean, literally not one woman can know how everything affects her biochemically. We can still judge, however, when we feel good or not good, when we feel bloated and gassy, when we feel like our clothes are a little tight or when they're feeling looser. Most of the time, when we're on a fat loss journey, you use the one or the other way of measuring fat loss. Whether you systematically monitor your weight by a body scale or you're measuring um, your weight by a tape measure um, simply with, you know, how much fat you might have gained around the thigh or on your waist or your stomach or if you're just loosely keeping track by observing your body in a mirror or trying on clothes to see how they fit, whichever you choose, you're able to compare today's results with yesterday's results by observing how your body has changed from one day to the next. So why do I even bring this all up? The reason why is because 
As I have transitioned to the menopausal stage of my life, I've noticed drastic changes in how my body reacts to food, unlike how it did in the past. So I'm more aware of how food makes me feel or how it affects my skin or my sleep when, when you know, I'm having difficulty sleeping or, or my weight simply because I pay more attention to it than I did in the past. So the reason being is there are actually more factors in play, like hormones that can change up the game real quick. For example, regardless of how my schedule looks on the next day, I really try to get the most hours of sleep that I can. Sometimes that's only four hours because for some reason I just couldn't sleep any longer. So if I happen to sleep less than I really need, I automatically revert back to my nutrition during the day. Like, okay, what did I eat? You know, did did I eat enough nutrients? Did I have any sugar? Did I drink any alcohol or too much alcohol? Or did I get enough fresh air or movement during the day? You know, why am I having difficulty sleeping or staying asleep, falling asleep? All these things can play a part in affecting my hormones and ultimately my sleep. And it matters to me because I don't want to wake up too tired in the morning and be possibly stressed during the day. This will ultimately increase cortisol levels, and that could impact my blood sugar by increasing insulin, which will increase my chances of retaining or gaining fat, which I don't want. So cortisol might also trigger me to overeat because it plays a part in increasing my appetite. So if I can do anything about it, you know, uh, that will help me in some way to avoid unnecessary weight gain, then I'm going to do what I can, right? When I eat heavy meals, meals with more calories in the evening, I feel more bloated before I go to bed. And when I get up, I feel, you know, gassy. And sometimes I even catch myself, you know, burping often. I don't like waking up bloated, even if that happens, um, you know, often or is considered normal, it's uncomfortable to me. I appreciate having the feeling as if my stomach is empty and not backed up with undigested food. I don't want to feel like there's still food sitting in my stomach, you know? So I try to eat heavier meals during the day when I'm most active and my activity is more likely to facilitate the digestion process and burn more calories, more so than if I would eat it in the evening just a couple of hours before going to bed. So this brings me to the point of this episode. Is there really a difference between the times when you eat your meals and fat loss? Can eating your meals at specific times during the day lead you to gain more fat than if you would eat at other times. That's what I want to talk about today. And regardless of where you stand on the issue, whether you're in the know about it or not, I believe it's really worth it to listen and based on evidence, form an educated opinion and consider whether or not the information can help improve 
your fat loss journey. Because, you know, whether we like it or not, as menopausal women, our hormones are different than they were in our 20s and 30s. We have less estrogen, which impacts various other chemical processes in the body. We have hot flashes and night sweats. We have less energy. We have lower libido. Our mood is affected. We start to crave sweets and fatty foods, and our muscles start to decrease, right? We have less and less muscle mass the older we get. So with lower estrogen, the cards are stacked against us (laughs) and and we really need to develop a strategy that keeps us in the game, right? We want to lose fat and so we want to do all that we can that sets us up to succeed or, you know, to maintain our happy weight. And this may mean that we need to tweak our program here and there. One example is by modifying our eating window, as I mentioned in the last episode, episode 12, by increasing our digestion period and decreasing our eating window so that we have a bigger um, window where we're not eating and, you know, a smaller window where we are eating, we can improve our metabolism and burn more fat quicker. And this may not be necessary for the woman in her 20s and 30s. So obviously those fitness experts that are in their 20s and 30s that may be preaching against a regulated eating window or scheduled eating, yeah, they're justified because they may not need to do that. You know, their metabolism may be in alignment with their current eating practices, which may not require a lot of modification to their regular routine. But for us, for the menopausal women, we're just trying to keep everything as balanced as possible because everything is all but balanced. Our hormones are shifting, and along with that, our physical and mental well-being are constantly challenged. More than ever, we need to sleep better, drink more, de-stress regularly, consume more nutrient-dense food, move often and smarter just so that we can feel better and at peace with our bodies. So with that said, let's see what information we menopausal women can get from chronobiology. That's the timing of processes, biological processes, you know, in our bodies to find out if there is legitimate evidence, you know, information that that can help us regarding scheduled eating and fat loss. So in this episode, I want to talk about three things. What is food timing? What are the benefits versus the costs? And how should menopausal women get started? So Last week, I discussed that the amount of time that lapses between meals, you know, between your first meal or actually your your last meal of the current day and the first meal of the next day, 
how this time can have a positive or negative impact on your weight and your health because it ultimately influences how high or how low your blood sugar is as well as how high the levels of insulin in your blood are, right? Because this can support or work against fat loss. Now today, I want to talk about the actual time, not the amount of time, but the actual time during the day when we consume food and whether or not it can affect fat loss as well as our overall health. You know, does eating at specific times have an impact on our fat loss? So let's start with the basic science of our internal clocks. Our bodies are on a rhythmic clock based on a 24-hour light and dark cycle. And this cycle is referred to as our circadian rhythm. And it's primarily important for timing biological processes in our bodies, like, you know, physical, mental, and behavioral changes. Um, And some refer to the circadian clock as the sleep-wake cycle because our internal clock affects our sleepiness and alertness during the day. And it also has an impact on our hormones, as well as our body temperature and even our eating habits. So how does this work? There is a mass of nerve cells, about 20,000 of them, called suprachiasmatic nucleus. And it's referred to as our master clock. And these cells, they're located in sort of the lower part of the brain in the hypothalamus. And they're controlled by external factors. The biggest factor being light. So when light hits our eyes, the waves transmit information to an organ called the pineal gland. And the information that it transmits is that it's early, that it's time to wake up, and the pineal gland then reduces melatonin. When darkness or fading light hits our eyes, the master clock signals to the pineal gland again that it's getting dark and it's time for our bodies to prepare for sleep. And then that same gland, the pineal gland, releases melatonin. So melatonin is a hormone in our bodies. It's produced in our bodies and it makes us feel drowsy. So do you remember when I mentioned in episode six about sleep, how melatonin in the form of sleeping vitamins help me to get a good night sleep? They are a gentle way of relaxing your body and shutting down physical activity so that your body can rest. And your body naturally produces this hormone in the pineal gland once it's triggered by fading light or darkness. And its primary function is to induce drowsiness or induce sleep. And the opposite has an effect. In the morning when the sun rises, the light signals your master clock in your brain through your eyes to turn down 
the melatonin. And the more the melatonin goes down, the more alert and awake you feel. The way that lightness and darkness affects our internal clocks is not the same for everyone, right? There are studies out there that show there are different chronotypes based on your genes, you know, your own DNA that determine when you're more alert during the day and when you have less energy. And they say this varies from person to person, but it's mainly divided into two groups. And it's what we all know as, or at least what we call um, the term early birds and night owls, right? So those who are more alert during the day are considered the early birds. You know, they're really energetic during the morning hours. And those who are more alert and energetic during the evening or night hours are referred to as night owls. But, you know, regardless of which chronotype you are, your internal clock is mainly affected by the 24-hour light-dark cycle and the stimulation or reduction of the hormone melatonin. Now, our circadian rhythm is also linked to our eating cycles, specifically appetite and our levels of insulin. When melatonin increases, it decreases our appetite, which makes sense. If melatonin is trying to get us to go to sleep, our body should not be preparing to feast, but instead to rest, which is why our appetite goes down. When melatonin goes down, our body is waking up and getting alert. And to function, our body needs energy. So it's logical that our appetites would increase. This happens because as melatonin decreases, leptin, another hormone produced in our bodies, is inhibited, right? It's stopped and our appetites then go up. Also, when melatonin goes down, the body produces more ghrelin, which raises our appetite. It has the opposite effect of leptin. If melatonin is released, then leptin is stimulated and it breaks our appetites. Ghrelin goes down and helps to suppress our appetites. So the take-home message is lightness triggers your body to wake up and be hungry and seek food while darkness slows you down, makes you sleepy, and starts to lower your appetite. And this behavior is controlled by the interplay of the hormones melatonin, insulin, leptin, and ghrelin. Those four hormones, just to keep it simple, interact and regulate then our appetite and our blood sugar levels as our sleep-wake cycle um, is either stopped or 
started or triggered through melatonin. So the idea behind food timing is that there are times during the day that are better for us to eat, which do not disrupt our circadian rhythm. When your internal clock or circadian rhythm gets off track, problems arise that are linked with obesity. I actually have three studies that demonstrate this directly and indirectly. The first study includes 8,000 adults and showed that those adults who ate late at night had higher levels of body fat in their blood or high levels of lipids in their blood than those who ate earlier. There was a correlation in this study between later meals, higher blood sugar, higher body fat, and increased weight gain. Another study in 2013 showed that all women who participated in the study ate the same amount of calories, but those who ate the bulk of their calories at breakfast lost two and a half times more weight than those who ate at the, um, ate the, the most of their calories at dinner, right? So there are those who ate less calories at dinner time and the bulk of their calories at breakfast and they had more successful weight loss than those who ate the bulk of their calories at dinner time. And the latest study in 2017 showed that eating later in the evening when the body releases melatonin is linked with body fat regardless of the type of food the amount of food, or the activity level of the subjects throughout the day. So those were all very interesting studies. And the three studies together showed two very important things. If you eat late at night, you will gain fat no matter what you eat, how much you eat, and how active you are during the day. And the second important thing that these studies demonstrated is if you eat the bulk of your calories in the evening, you'll gain 2.5 times more fat than if you ate your heaviest meal earlier in the day. And there are even more studies out there about shift workers who ate late at night and gained more fat than workers who worked during the day. So there's a lot of evidence out there that supports the idea that our circadian rhythm can impact our metabolism and ultimately our chances of gaining fat. Once the light starts to fade, your body's internal clock registers that it's getting late and your hormones are triggered to prepare your body by slowing down your metabolism. If you eat while your metabolism slows down, you're less able to burn the consumed calories as efficiently as you would have during the waking and alert hours. All calories that are not burned, we know, are stored as fat. So, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I started to look at resources to try to find out 
what the exact relationship is between insulin and melatonin. And it's, it wasn't that simple. Um, to, to try to explain the exact chemical interaction interaction would be beyond the scope of this podcast and, and my personal expertise. I mean, in reality, it's still actually being researched. So the exact pathways and hormonal impact on our metabolism is not that fully defined when it comes to melatonin, insulin, and all the other hormones. But what is clear is that when melatonin is high during the evening hours, your chances of gaining fat are also high. And when melatonin is low, your chances of burning fat are higher simply based on the results of the studies that I mentioned. We don't always have, you know, behave according to our circadian rhythm. You know, we're human with real human conditions and circumstances, which do not always enable us to follow our sleep-wake cycle as it was meant to be followed. You know, working outside of our sleep-wake cycle can cause a number of problems that can actually result in, you know, sleep disruptions, uncontrolled appetite, depression over time, metabolic disorders, and a number of chronic diseases. It's more serious than I think most of us think. And if you remember in episode six um, in my discussion about sleep, these chronic diseases were also mentioned that can result if your sleep is disrupted, you know, um, and that being in alignment with circadian rhythm, once we're out of alignment, then we're susceptible to, you know, a number of disorders. Also, dysregulation of our hormones, which can have even further effect on our appetite and, you know, our, our chances of, of gaining fat. So our bodies, we know, are designed to be active, but they're also designed to rest. And that requires that we allow our bodies to slow down as much as possible so that biological processes can take place that are not possible when we're active during the day. The benefits are are plenty, right? The brain stores new information while we're sleeping and it gets rid of toxic waste. And also, which is important for us as menopausal women, um, you know, we our bodies undergo muscle repair and uh, protein synthesis, which is really important for muscle growth and tissue growth overall. And, and this happens during our sleeping hours. You know, that's when that takes place and our bodies are able to recover and rejuvenate physically and mentally. If we disrupt this process, our body is not able to function optimally and our hormones as I mentioned before, are dysregulated, which can massively affect your fat loss goals and your overall health. And as a menopausal woman, following your circadian rhythm can have significant 
health benefits, not only for fat loss, but also for your overall well-being, including slowing down the aging process. So prolonged disruptions in our circadian rhythm can bring about physical and mental stress, stress, such as an increase in cortisol, right? And if you remember, I I don't remember which episode it was um, when I talked about, I think I mentioned that actually in, in the sleeping episode, um, I'll put the the notes in the um, or the link to the the specific episode in the description notes. But when we have elevated cortisol, right, um, over a period of time, so chronic elevated levels, this will ultimately lead to an increase in blood gluc- glucose levels. And this leads to body fat and chronic disease. So what's the best way for for you and, and for I as menopausal women to ensure that our circadian rhythm is on point? You know, well, at least as on point as we're able to influence. Let's talk about them. There are actually three different ways that we can support a healthy sleep-wake cycle so that our fat loss goals are not sabotaged. So the first one is ensure that you plan enough sleep in the evening to ensure that you're able to get at least seven to nine hours based on your personal sleeping needs, but no less than seven. So if you remember in that sleeping episode that less than seven hours of sleep causes an increase in cortisol, as I just mentioned, right? And because your body recognizes this or perceives a lack of sleep as stress and cortisol is a stress hormone and it's responsible for raising our glucose levels. And when our glucose levels are high, then insulin is high. And then we're not able to efficiently funnel glucose into the cells that that we need to funnel them to. And then the glucose will be stored as fat. Now, whether or not you're actually able to sleep seven hours is another story. We know as menopausal women, we have difficulty achieving a solid sleeping routine every day, but seven or more is ideal. So as many as you can get in the direction of seven or more, the better off you are. The most important thing is just to plan at least the seven hours in your schedule and hope you're able to sleep as many of them as possible. Listen to my episode on sleep. I'm definitely going to leave the link in um, the description notes. I believe it's number six, but just look at the description notes, notes to be sure. If you want ideas on how to improve the quality of your sleep and tips on how to sleep as long as possible, then listen to that, that episode. That can be um, very useful. Now, the second way for us as menopausal women to ensure our circadian rhythm is 
balanced or is on point as much as we can is to plan your FIT, your fit or your food intake timeline. This is your regulated eating window. And this I discussed in episode 12. You want to know from when to when you'll be eating so that you allow sufficient digestion and fat burning time. So listen to episode 12 if you want tips on how to schedule your timeline. Your first meal should be no less than 12 hours. It can be, um, you know, 12 hours after your last meal. And it should definitely be after sunrise, right? That's important. Now, it can be 13, 14, 15, 16, and even more hours after your last meal, but it shouldn't be any less than 12, right? Starting at 12 hours, your body has a better chance of digesting your food um, more sufficiently than if you ate um, you know, less than 12 hours after your last meal. So typically this next meal, you know, 12 hours after your last meal would be around lunchtime. For example, if your regulated window closed at 6 PM the day before, and you have a 16 hour closed window, for example, your last meal should be before sunset before your brain starts to release melatonin. Ideally, three hours before bedtime, right? Before you go to bed to ensure sufficient digestion. Once your brain starts to release melatonin, your metabolism begins to slow down and the blood sugar levels that rise with the increase of any consumed food after dark will not be sufficiently burned and will be stored as fat. Okay, so the third and last way that I will address in this episode to ensure, um, yeah, that you have a, 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 a good sleep-wake cycle that will support your fat loss is to ensure that your heaviest meal is one of your first meals and not your last. Remember, high-calorie breakfast, the meal that breaks your fast, right? doesn't have to be 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. or so. Um, That first meal or that breakfast, that um, meal that breaks your fast can be at 12 or later. But you... You want to make sure that that high calorie breakfast um, or that first meal is is high calorie because it results in lower average daily blood sugar levels compared to eating a high calorie dinner. High calorie dinners will lead to increased body fat regardless of the type of food, the amount of food, or regardless of how active you were during the day. So don't eat the bulk of your calories at the end of your eating window. Eat them in the beginning and no later than 3 p.m. I read 
that this time, 3 p.m., was the cutoff for heavy meals for all subjects in that study who did not gain fat. So that's sort of a rough estimate, right? But surely as your last meal before dinner, you don't want to have the bulk of your um, meal or the bulk of your calories at dinner time. So I would say like, you know, even if it's at 12 or one or two, you know, it doesn't matter. It's fine. As long as it's not, um, way after 3 PM, you know, you really want to use 3 PM as the cutoff time. Um, and anything after would then be considered dinner. So also something to remember, if you're not disrupting your circadian rhythm by eating late at night, you are less likely to have any sleep disruptions, which means you have better sleep and you're not at risk for increased cortisol or high blood sugar levels during the day, which would normally lead to stored body fat. So this is going back to our point about um, getting good sleep. You know, as a menopausal woman, we often have disrupted sleep for any number of reasons. But by eating or sort of respecting your circadian rhythm, then, you know, you would avoid eating a late meal, which could possibly, um, you know, affect your sleep, disrupt your sleep. So by eating, you know, up until three hours before you go to sleep, then you're less likely to have a restless night. Okay, so let's just summarize. There are, in fact, an answer to my first question, whether or not there are better times to eat. There are. And despite what some fitness experts may say, the best times are in alignment with your circadian rhythm and remain the same on a regular basis. When we're in alignment with our circadian rhythm, we wake when the sun rises after at least seven hours of sleep, which would be ideal, and we start to prepare for bedtime once the light starts to fade and our metabolic activity slows down. We don't have to go to sleep right away but we definitely don't want to start any heavy activities or begin to prepare and partake in any feasts or or nighttime snacking on a regular basis after our body starts to come to rest. Remember, when the light signals to your body that the end of the day is nearing, your body starts to release melatonin and your hormones signal to the rest of the body that the eating window should be shutting down and therefore leptin is stimulated so that your appetite goes down. However, if you eat a full meal or begin snacking after your eating window should have closed, your blood sugar and insulin rise but are not efficiently used during inactive phases and instead cause glucose to be stored in fat cells. So always schedule an eating window that respects your circadian rhythm. Eating after the sun rises when melatonin goes down and your body is alert and ready for metabolic activity. 
and stopping to eat before the sun goes down when melatonin is released and your body starts to slow down metabolic activity and and begins to rest. Plan enough sleep within your circadian cycle. Schedule your regulated eating window with a sufficient digestion period of at least 12 hours, can be more, and make sure that your last meal is before sunset when your metabolism slows down. And lastly, make sure that the bulk of your calories are eaten earlier in the day, but no later than 3 p.m. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found the information useful. You know, the studies were evidence-based and you can apply them to your own routine and start to see a difference in your own journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help share this podcast with many more women who can benefit from it. I look forward to sharing with you again. As always, stay healthy, stay blessed, and remember if you have a sweet tooth and you're trying to lose fat, guilt-free always tastes 